Integrated Science Preliminaries, Chapter Number Six. Chapter Five, we'll read about concepts and percepts at loggerheads. Six, the axiomatic origin of possible truth. While there is a necessary connection between sense data, plain sensum, and the percepts formed in our mind, different names are possible between a percept and its corresponding conceptual aspect. The latter, that is the concept, in other words, has only a contingent relationship to the sense data. We have noticed the gap separating percepts and concepts. When this gap has been transcended and we have reached the other side, where conceptualizing takes place in the mind, we find that here too there is a fixed relationship between concepts and their corresponding word or name aspect. Every word in the dictionary corresponds to its concept. The overall structure of mutual relation between sense data and percepts on the one side and words and their corresponding concepts on the other remains constant and complete. So you have two relationships. One is sense data and percepts and words and concepts. We can here be helped by imagining two persons conversing at a distance. There is an intersubjective and a transphysical or an interphysical and transsubjective exchange based on sensory motor impulses taking place in the conversation. The whole event with its double aspect can be reduced to a common schema motor as Bergson has done so masterfully that is in his book Matter and Memory. Without entering into any further details of the structure at this preliminary stage, it will suffice for us to notice for the present that in the total structural situation involved, there is a jump or gap existing vertically between ontological or imminent percepts and their own teleological or transcendental aspects called names or concepts. In this, there is a subtle ambivalence, revealing distinctly two poles. The pole of possibility, or of all possibilities, is recognized as the a priori, where axiomatic thinking has its fullest validity. At the other extreme of the same vertical axis, we can locate a corresponding pole, where instead of axiomatic thinking, we have mutual exclusion between given sets of sense data. This can be called the source of a posteriori thinking. Thus, we come back to the nominal, which is at the basis of the sentence, one can call a rose by any name, and the actual, which refers to its smell, it will still smell as sweet, linked into a complete situation, so as to reveal its ambivalent aspects. Here we have axiomatic thinking, which resides at the top pole, and necessity to exclude contradiction as between actual aspects at the bottom pole. We have entered in a preliminary fashion into these interrelationships between sense data, percepts, concepts and names or words corresponding to them, so as to bring into relief the other pole, which is not represented by what we have called the perceptual or laboratory-centered source of knowledge. 
Axiomatic thinking does not originate in the experimental world proper to physics. On the contrary, all axiomatic thinking has, in full measure, the a priori implicit in it and should therefore be delegated to that pole where general ideas originate within the structure of total human understanding. This can also be called the metaphysical or the ultra-physical. The conceptualized version of both the immanent and the transcendental aspects of reality could be comprised within the scope of this pure logical parameter. Descartes has marked clearly the limits within which metaphysical thought may be said to live and move when he indicates in his discourse on method that cogito ergo sum is a natural starting point for all systematic doubting or speculation. He says, accordingly the knowledge I think therefore I am is the first and most certain that occurs to one who philosophizes in an orderly way. He further adds that God is the source of all general ideas. When the mind afterwards reviews the different ideas that are in it, it discovers what is by far the chief among them, that of a being omniscient, all-powerful and absolutely perfect. And it observes that in this idea there is contained not only possible and contingent existence, as in the ideas of all other things, which it clearly perceives, but existence absolutely necessary and eternal. Even if we find it necessary to avoid this theological second limit and prefer to call it by any other name than that of God, it remains true all the same. There is an axiomatic source of all possible a priori thinking where all general ideas originate at the top of the vertical axis, lending support in a descending dialectical way to give validity to more or less possible ramifications of general ideas. Pure nominalism, where any name is as good as any other, gives full scope to the contingent element in thought. Names become more definitely understood or grasped through the meaning we have given them by what we call concepts. There can be a hierarchy of concepts belonging to sets or subsets representing different grades of significant human values with their corresponding terms with which all dictionaries of any linguistic region are seen to be filled. Word and meaning thus are coupled together as with two dictionaries with a one-to-one -one correspondence between them. Corresponding to this descending ramification, we can build up from the necessary pole of existence a ramification of perceptually ascending terms resembling a tree of porphyry. The ascending and descending ramified sets meet in a tragic no-man's land, already referred to as the region where innocent schoolchildren suffer boredom of their schoolrooms. Further justification of these structural details we shall reserve for future treatment in their relevant context as they arise. But the rough outline has to be kept in mind from the very beginning so that our further discussions could become easier to follow.